Welcome to the City Life Podcast. I'm Tim Woody, the pastor of City Life Church in downtown Fort Worth. There is purpose for your life. There's a destiny you have yet to walk into, and there is hope regardless of what you're facing today. I encourage you to open your heart now to what God will be speaking to you over these next few minutes. You to uh, go ahead and get in your Bibles. First Samuel chapter eighteen, verse one, and John chapter fifteen, verse twelve. Those two passages hold both of them. We'll start with the first Samuel passage in just a few minutes. But relationships are great when they're going well, aren't they? I mean, but they can be horrible when they're not going well. I mean, not. I mean, just they can be horrible and just drain you of, of a. It seems like all of your life. Uh, and everybody has faced relational ups and downs. Relational struggles are real. Every single person faces relational struggles. Yet at the same time, friendships are critical for a healthy being. And uh, the reason for that is God actually created us to be relational beings. So, so the title of my message today is simply Friendship. And this is the last of my series called The People in Our Lives. There was this crude and cruel experiment that was performed by uh, Emperor Frederick II. Now, he was the emperor of, the, of Rome, the Rome, Roman area, the Roman Empire in the 13th century. And this was a narcissist. He, uh, he, in fact, he's, he, didn't li- he didn't like the church. He really didn't want to have, his, his lifestyle was in complete uh, disregard to the word of God, even though the truth of the word of God was, was everywhere at that time. Still, he just rebelled against it. Uh, he was the first man that was known to actually take the crown from the Pope and crown himself. And, uh, and then there were others that followed that did that later. But, but he did some atrocious experience, uh, ex- experiments on people. And those experiments would rival what even the Nazis did in the 1930s and 1940s. This, this emperor... He, uh, he performed, again, a, a lot of them, but one of his most horrific ones was he wanted to know what man's original language was. And, and he believed that he could figure that out. And he, he, had, he, had est- he had guessed that it was either Hebrew or Greek or Latin. And so what he did is he decided that he was going to isolate several infants, several babies, isolate them from the sound of human voices. His hypothesis was this, is they would naturally develop the language that was the original language from the Garden of Eden. And then he would be able to establish that language as the language of the world, and he would show himself to be more powerful than the Pope. So what happened is these babies were forcibly taken from their mothers at birth, and they were handed over to these wet nurses who were sworn to absolute total silence. And it was difficult for them, but they abided uh, by this rule, and the infants never heard a word. They never heard the sound of the human voice. And what happened is all these babies, they just cried continuously and, and, and they were in their cells and they would just cry and cry and cry and cry. And the tragedy of it is within a few months, every single one of these babies died. Is that not amazing? We need people to talk with. We need relationships. God designed us that way. In fact, 
I would say our greatest need in life is to be fully known and fully loved. And we receive part of that through our relationship with God, but we need other people. But, but see, in, in, in this world, I mean, we, we have these busy lives, stressful lives, and fractured lifestyles. And, and what they tend to do is they sabotage the most meaningful relationships. And we don't, we don't have time for a connect group. We don't have time for, uh, for getting together with friends or loved ones. Maybe you're, you're hurt from a, uh, a previous relationship and that pain is just reeling in you. And so you, you build up walls around yourself. Or, or maybe you're stressed out because of your work. You're stressed out because of school. You don't have any energy left to give to relationships. And that's really where we are. Brand new statistics came out just a few weeks ago. Eight out of 10 Gen Zers and seven out of 10 millennials consider themselves to be very lonely. That is a huge majority. Psychologists say that this is resulting in our nation in higher levels of stress and and physical ailments, low productivity, and higher instances of mental illness that's thriving in our society. You see, I mean, we're more connected electronically than ever before, but we're also lonelier than ever before. This epidemic of loneliness is sweeping our nation, and... and, uh, the gospel has the answer. The church has the answer, but we have to talk about this. Again, our greatest needs are to be fully known and fully loved. I tell you, if you're, if you're married, your best friend should be your spouse. And you should also have friends in the community, uh, people that you spend time with in each other's homes, over dinner, or doing recreation friendship with, uh, with fellow believers. In fact, that's one of the core purposes of the church is for us to have relationships with other believers. That's why part of the reason why the church exists is for us to flourish through those types of relationships. We, we encourage one another when it comes to the word of God. And I know you might say, I have, you have Facebook friends and I saw the other day, I, I don't know, some 3,000 or whatever Facebook friends. Like, I'll just tell you right off the bat, a lot of those people aren't even my friends. I don't know how they get on there. I don't know how they became my friends. And, and something will pop up on a news feed. I'm like, who's that? I, I can't. I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember I met that person 10 years ago. That's not my friend. Yet we call them friends. And, and you know, we, we're missing out on a lot of real, genuine relationship. You know, there are some friends that are closer than others, but friends are a very, very important part of our lives. So, so I want to ask this question right up front. I'm going to start off easy, and I'm going to get tougher in this message, but let's start off with this. Uh, what does it mean to be a friend biblically? Well, I put a bunch of scriptures up there, so you'll just need to take a picture of that before it jumps off the screen so you can look those scriptures up. Those are some good scriptures to go to. But the Bible gives us a, a myriad of examples of what a friend is biblically, and the book of Proverbs gives us a lot of examples of how friendships should, should work. Here are some examples of what we find in the scripture. A true friend shows love no matter what. A true friend gives heartfelt ad- advice that brings joy to your heart. A friend 
A true friend is going to rebuke you when necessary, but they're going to do it in a lot of love. A true friend is going to influence you and enliven you and sharpen you. A true friend is going to not gossip about you. A true friend is going to forgive you, and they're not going to hold grudges. A true friend is loyal. A true friend is going to help you in your time of need. In fact, the New Testament word for friend is Philos, P-H-I-L-O-S. And if you say Philos now, you're speaking Greek. But, but that basically means this. It is someone who you, that should be a whom, I believe, but someone whom you are actively fond of and who is friendly toward you. Someone whom you are actively fond of and they're friendly toward you. That's a very, that's a simple definition. That, that's, that's an easy definition, straightforward. But of course, you can't force or manipulate another person to be friendly toward you, even if you're actively fond of them. You know, when I was growing up, uh, we moved to a new community every two or three years, and I found myself constantly losing friends, and then had to restart and make new friends. And, and, and uh, it was, uh, to be honest with you, it was tough if you grew up in a, in a household like that that moved a lot. That's, that was not easy. But... Be, you know, the, 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 the thing was, I was just like this new kid on the block, perpetually. And every time the relationships would get established, it was time to start over again. Well, we moved into this new community when I was uh, moving into eighth grade. And, and at this point, I was, I was just kind of tired of it all. And, and, and I wanted friends, but I thought, I just don't even have the energy to put into this again. I was kind of feeling sorry for myself, so I went to the, this new school, and, and I saw very clearly all the relational groups were already well established, and, and so I thought, I'm just going to, I'm just going to kind of just go my own way. I, you know, I want friends, but well, I'm, I'm just not going to really engage or try to talk with people, or there's no reason to try to be friendly with people, because I, I can see how this will end again, so, <laughs> and then I also thought, well, maybe friends will just come automatically to me, well, I, I remember this so clearly because this was a, a really one of many defining moments in my life, but it was strange how it was so defining because I was in this English class and there was this girl sitting behind me in eighth grade English and this girl, she had noticed that I was just not being friendly, really friendly to anyone. And she, she, she tapped me on the shoulder and I turned around I was like, yeah. And, and she said, you know what, Tim? If you want to have friends, you need to be a friend. And that sank in. And that really got into my heart. And I'll tell you, I, I could not get those words out of my, my, my mind and out of my heart. And so it changed my attitude. I just decided from that point on, I am going to be friendly to everyone. I'm, I'm just going to do this. It changed me. And by the end of that year, I'm telling you all, I had plenty of friends. And I learned this. The more friends you have, the better the safety net is for you. Several years ago, I took uh, my, my children to the circus. This is a long time ago, maybe about 20 years ago, but I was just mesmerized by these trapeze artists. And, and they, they were incredible, just the, the athleticism and the ability and the timing for them to do this. And, and they, they got my attention. One reason is because I hate heights. In fact, I was going from my, my, with my wife on a walk, and there's this little footbridge that goes over Mary's Creek out where, where we live, and 
And it was night, and she said, you want to go over the bridge? It's like, no, I don't like going over bridges. Just, let's just not do that. Let's just go another direction. And, I mean, even when I was a child, I didn't like swinging high on the swing set. For those of you who lived back in those days when we did swing sets, and you had them in your backyard, I mean, you start swinging, and then the, the little poles come out of the ground. I mean, I was just convinced I was going to die. And I, I just didn't like, like doing any of that. I mean, much less swinging on a trapeze in this huge arena with everybody staring at you and screaming at you. So I'm watching this thing, and the palms of my hands start getting sweatier and sweatier, and I started feeling anxiety, and my mouth got dry. And then at that moment, it happened right in front of me. One of the trapeze artists, he did not connect his hands with the other person coming toward him. And I watched him plunge. I mean, my heart sank. I, I, I quit breathing. I just held my breath. What's going to happen? And bam, he went down and he hit the, the net. And then he just jumped up and just started prancing off the net. Everybody's cheering for him. And I'm like, what in the world happened? I mean, gravity took over and this guy went straight down. But what saved him was the safety net. He had a strong net under him. I began to have a new appreciation for safety nets and, and uh, not just for the circus, but also for our own lives. We need those things. Uh, quite often our, our lives are like trapeze artists and you're, you're doing your best swinging through the air and you're doing all these stunts and not just because you necessarily want to, but you have to to get through to the next day and you're, you're, you're trying to, to grab hold of the next person. You're trying to grab hold of the next opportunity and then you slip and you fall. Those things happen to us. So what happens when, when, when that happens to you? Well, you want to have a safety net under you. And a good network of friends is a safety net. We need strong relational nets. And I, we need to build them and build them and build them. A network of friendships. And this is very, very biblical as you're about to see. You know, and you don't really know who's going to come to your rescue, who's going to be there. Maybe a friend or it may even be a friend of a friend that could be your saving grace when everything just goes crazy in your life. Ancient Israel's King Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived next to Jesus Christ, he, he talked about the power and the advantage of having strong relationships. And he said this, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them fails, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Wow. So, so, so there's people all around us, guys, and God placed those people there. Now turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter number 18. We're going to take a look at an ideal friendship that's, that's there in the Bible. It's one of the most recognized deep friendships that's in the Bible. It's between two men, David and Jonathan. Uh, David was, was, the, was had the anointed king of Israel. He had already been anointed, but he had not yet taken the throne. He was to be the next king, and Saul was still the king. Well, Saul had a son named Jonathan, and, and David was hanging around. So, so now you have these two guys that are about the same age, and, and we, we see this story happening here in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1. It says, now it came about when he finished speaking to Saul that Jonathan committed himself 
Those are, those are the important words. Different versions say it differently, but I like this the best because it's actually the purest form of what's, what's there in the, uh, in, in the Hebrew language. Jonathan committed himself to David and Jonathan loved him as himself. Now this is an example of strong biblical relationship, strong biblical friendship as we see recorded in various, various other places in the Bible where it's even commanded to do this. Now, now I want you to hold your place there because what, what, what is this? What does that mean committed himself? Well, it actually comes from the Hebrew term, which is kashar, which means joined to, bound to, or knit to the soul of, to become stronger as a result of one's ties. I'll say that again. He committed himself, so that means he joined to, bound to, or knit to the soul of to become stronger as a result of one's ties. So, so when this term, kashar, when this is applied to two people, it describes an intense binding together of a relationship that is inseparable. Now, again, we know that they were about the same age. Uh, Prince Jonathan was about to take the throne upon his father's death, and, uh, but, and he really didn't have any interest in David as a musician. He was a he would become a renowned musician in the in the kingdom. But David's heroism and his modesty and his high expectations of himself this kindled in Jonathan an admiration as well as an as an affection. So both Jonathan and David they both made conscious decisions to bind or knit their souls together in a very healthy way. It's called it was a mutual commitment. They both saw within each other a desire to be God-centered individuals and both of them became stronger as a result. So instead of having a relationship that depleted them, have you ever had been in a friendship or a relationship like that? You're always being depleted from, you're just draining you? Well, in this case, they're not being drained because this is a relationship that replenishes and those are the types of relationships that I want to encourage. See, a depleting relationship, what it will do is it'll drain you emotionally, it'll drain you even spiritually, it'll tap your energy resources because it demands constant, continual hard work. And sometimes relationships like that may not even be worth it. You have to judge those, those for yourselves. But a replenishing relationship, what it does is it energizes you. It revitalizes your spirit and your soul. And, and it adds to your life. It doesn't diminish your life. And those are the relationships I encourage you to seek out. In fact, the strength of this uh, friendship, what it did is it even initiated generosity on, on Jonathan's part. Now remember, Jonathan was a prince. And, and, and take a look at what the prince did. First Samuel 18 look down at verse 4 in verse 4 it says Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and he gave it to David with his military gear including his sword his bow and his belt so his robe or his tunic what he had that represented his authority and his family blessing as a prince the who was in line actually to be the future king although he was not anointed for that but he did, he recognized something he recognized David's anointing to be king and so he gave that to David and Jonathan's uh, sword and his bow and his belt, this, this, uh, this was given to him as recognition of David's qualities as a warrior see Jonathan, here's the beauty of this this is true friendship, Jonathan wasn't jealous of David even though when you read the story, 
David eclipsed Jonathan with his own personal achievements. So Jonathan had this generous attitude, and generous attitudes in relationships causes both people in the relationship to pour out affirmation and encouragement, and that's where you begin to promote the other person even above yourself. See, this, this type of, of friendship is deeper than just worrying about your own problems and hoping somebody's going to come to your rescue. It's, it's, it's about listening more than talking. It's about feeling what the other person is feeling. It's about respecting and acknowledging and recognizing another person's worth, another person's value. And these types of relationships, when they are bathed in the principles of God and his words, they are invaluable. Yet at the same time, there are some friends that can take you in the wrong direction, can lead you in the wrong direction, or provoke you in the wrong direction. For example, Job, he had a lot of friends. He had, but, but when his life turned upside down, the vast majority of his friends abandoned him. They were no longer friends. When everything fell apart in his life, most of his friends deserted him. And so truthfully, they really weren't even friends. And some of you have experienced that. When things go bad, all of a sudden the people you thought were your friends are no longer there, and uh, they never were your friends. But again, you just got to forgive them. You have to move forward. But there were a few that stuck with him. And (laughs) unfortunately, they said a bunch of stuff to him that didn't make his situation any better. In fact, it made it worse. And, uh, and, and the, the Bible even says that what these guys did, what they said to Job as friends, it greatly displeased the Lord. You see, wh- this is important. When you afflict your friends, it displeases God. You can read about that in Job chapter number 42. It's, it literally says that God's wrath was kindled against them for the way they talked down to Job who was going through a tough time when he was at the bottom. But then again, Job, it's interesting how this works. He had the responsibility to forgive them for what they did. See, it goes both ways. You don't have the right to hold on to animosity toward a friend or someone who was a friend and who's no longer a friend who let you down. In fact, the beauty of the story of Job, many look at it it's like Job was blessed, God took everything away, and then everything was restored back to him. Well, there, there's, there's something interesting there because there was a trigger moment when everything was restored back to him, double what he had before. And that's found in Job chapter 42, verse 10. It says, the Lord also restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends. Now, if you don't believe that praying for and forgiving, and part of it was for forgiving them also, forgiving people who have hurt you, 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 you've got to read this because this is so true. And it says, and the Lord increased double all that Job had. I mean, here's the truth. You have to forgive and pray for the people who have hurt you, who have done horrible things to you, and who have pulled you down. And this is a key to your own personal blessing and even your restoration. And remember this, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33 says, do not be conceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. What is bad company? Well, it's anyone who influences you toward evil. And if you have a relationship or a friendship like that, it is okay to cut it off. Now, 
along with this, I, I want to just toss something in here that I feel is important. I would say along with this is, is danger the danger of opposite sex relationships or friendships, uh, especially like when you're, when you're married. Uh, if you're married, do not have someone of the opposite sex be your accountability partner. Don't do devotions with them. Don't make them your prayer partner. As a pastor, I have witnessed far too many times when people innocently begin something like that and it brings horrible heartache to families and to people because what happens in the intimacy of of even doing godly things, it causes your souls to become bound together. And if you're married, (laughs) please understand, the only person you should have that kind of intimacy with that spiritual intimacy is your spouse, not someone of the opposite sex. So that's a type of friendship I want to say you need to stay away from. And even if you're engaged to be married, let's cut those things off. One of the uh, one of the things that I even saw, which is up close and personal, even in my own family, a brother of mine, his wife had this platonic relationship with this guy. It was a friend, and this had been going on for years, for about 10, 15 years. And, and this, this friend had been around since, since high school, and just, they just thought that he just thought everything was normal with it and would leave him alone with, with his wife. And, and then one day he came home, and his wife was gone took days to figure out what had happened, but he had finally convinced her, my brother's wife, to leave and to go with him because he had the hots for her all along. <laughs> and I'll tell you, those types of relationships you don't need. I'm telling you as a pastor, if you have those in your life, break them off, okay? Now, now I want to get into some of the gritty details of friendship. You see, godly friendships originate from a strong friendship with God himself. In fact, we sang about it, if you noticed earlier, about how God is our friend. But, but godly friendships, they originate from you and I having strong friendship with God himself. And I don't want you to breeze past this statement because in a sense, everything in the Bible kind of hinges on this statement right here. In fact, if you look at the Ten Commandments, you're going to find they're broken into two categories. The first four talk about relationship with God. The last six talks about relationship with other people. Now, look at this interaction in Luke chapter, 15, Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Jesus has this interaction with uh, an expert in biblical law, which is the Old Testament. Luke 10, 25, it's up on the screens. It says, and behold, a lawyer stood up and put him, Jesus, to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, well, what's written in the law? Of course, you're the expert on this. Tell me what's written. How does it read to you? In other words, how does it read to you? He's saying, how do you interpret it? Okay? And he, the lawyer, answered. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, boom, you answered correctly. Do this and you will live. In fact, Jesus said that all of the scriptures in the Bible hang on the two commandments of loving God and loving other people. In other words, if you're going to be a Christian, you must love God with your entire being and 
based upon that, you love others the same way that you love yourself. And that includes marriages, families, and friendships. Now, Paul also tells us this in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. He says, bear one another's burdens, and therefore, what are you going to do? You're fulfilling the law of Christ. In other words, you're fulfilling what the scriptures, the whole Bible says by bearing one another's burdens. So so when there's a friend who's in need, someone who's carrying a burden, Christianity means this. We carry that burden with them. When you have healthy friendships, these kind of friendships that I'm talking about today, you won't have to carry your burdens alone because that's never the way God designed it to be. Now, if your mind is drifting towards situations where you were or maybe are carrying a burden and nobody stepped in to help you and you're upset and you're thinking of how these people should have come through for you, I want to also warn you that you're setting yourself up for bitterness and unforgiveness because a spirit of rejection can come upon you and literally consume you. So what, what, what I'm preaching about today is not about trying to get other people to be better friends toward you. That's not what I'm preaching about today. What I'm talking about is try, talking about you being a godly friend toward others, the way the scriptures designed it. And when we all do that, it works. First John chapter 4, verse 21 says this, this commandment we have from him, a commandment that the one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. Now, I believe this doesn't just mean siblings. I know I referred to this last week when I was talking about family relationships, but it also means spiritual brothers and sisters. So, so, but if you'll notice in that, in fact, put that scripture right back up there. If you'll notice this, the relationship with God is primary, okay? The relationship with God is first, and what, when that is in place, it lies the groundwork for good, healthy friendships and relationships with other people. Okay, now the other scripture I asked you to look up was John chapter 15, verse 12. I want you to go ahead and turn to that now. This is where Jesus is explaining to everybody how this actually works uh, in, in, in our lives. John chapter 15, verse 12. I'm going to read all the way through verse 15. Follow with me. Jesus says, this is my what? commandment. Have you caught the word commandment keeps popping up over and over and over in the scriptures when it's talking about relationships. Healthy, godly relationships are a command from God. It's, this is not just a warm, fuzzy thing to make us feel good. Okay, this is my commandment that you love one another. How? Just as I loved you. See, he has set the standard. Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, that a person will lay down his life for his friends. Now, this is before he was crucified. They didn't understand or know he was going to be crucified, but he was setting them up for it right there. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for a slave does not know what his master is doing. But I, this is God talking, I have called you friends because All things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. And there's a lot that's packed into that passage of Scripture. But basically it's this. First of all, Jesus calls you and me his friends. Now, I'm a firm believer in the transcendence and the majesty of God. I'm all about God's holiness and his power and his authority. But 
a lot of people will say, I, I can't really see myself being friends with God because that sounds so shallow. Well, that's because you may have a shallow version of what friends means. Maybe you're thinking that means Facebook friends. <laughs> Maybe the truth is you don't really have relationship with God as it should be, which causes you to be able to have those healthy relationships. And I will tell you this, in no way is it sacrilegious for you to think of God as your friend. When I woke up this morning, the first thing off my lips, the very first thing off my lips was, morning, God. Morning, Jesus. I can't wait to get into this day and do your work. I just talked to him like a friend. Now, he's not your equal, but he's your friend. And we best relate to God as a friend whom we love deeply and where our hearts are bound to him and knit to him just as I shared earlier with a definition of friendship. See, all of this started back in the Garden of Eden with, with Adam because Adam walked with God in the cool of the evening. They would go out and hang out each, each evening. They would just be friends together. But, of course, sin entered in, problems came up, but then Abraham picked up where God left off. Look at this. In James 2.23, it says, Scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called a what? Friend of God. So if we're going to have any hope for quality friendships in this life, we need to start with our friendship with God. That's the biggest, most important message because friendship with God is the foundation for strong relationships and friendships with other people. Therefore, here it is. Friendship with God makes healthy relationships with people a stronger possibility. It all goes back to God. But think about this. God doesn't try to control you. Nor in a friendship should you try to control someone else. Also, when it comes to friendships, you are not responsible for the actions another person takes, regardless of how painful it was or is to you. Nor is God responsible for the actions you take, regardless of how much sorrow and grief you've brought to him. God models true and lasting friendship. Now, if you're having trouble making friends, my encouragement is to look at yourself and look at your relationship with God. Are you emulating him? Paul goes on to explain this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Basically, here's how it works. This is, it works just like this. Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if there's any affection and compassion, Paul, he's saying, make my joy complete. Paul was the one who started this church. And so he's saying, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, doing nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. That all goes back to what David and Jonathan were doing. See, all of this is like that. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Who would not want to be a part of a group of people like that? Wow. That's what I want. And you know what? That's what the church should be. 
And I believe the church can be like that when we get our friendship relationship with God working and functioning well, and then we forgive, we release the pain of, of, of hurts and the past, and we start moving forward. And I encourage you to put Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 to memory, because it will guide you into healthy, vibrant, thriving relationships. Relationships that, in, that, that, that emulate the love of God and the life of God. Will you get hurt? Yeah, you will. It's because we live in a fallen world. This is not a perfect world. But remember, you are not responsible for the actions of the other person. You're responsible for yourself. It starts with you. Now, as I wrap up this series, everything that I've shared over the past three weeks ultimately points back to what God models. Marriage relationships, family relationships, and friendships. And God longs for you to have healthy friendships, healthy relationships, healthy marriages, healthy family relationships. And at the same time, I, based on the statistics that I shared with you, some of you are likely lonely. In fact, maybe very lonely. My encouragement is for you to take action on what I've just shared today and begin to pray for healthy friendships and be a friend, to have a friend. And I'll also be real with yourself and pray for God's correction in your life. Maybe there's something that needs to be corrected that's, that's where you've been pushing people away and didn't even recognize it. Pray for God's wisdom in your friendships. So my big question right now is what are you going to do to build healthy relationships. Now, one of the things I've been praying since, be, since, I, since I began preparing this message is that God will customize it for you specifically where you are. And if you have a feeling during this message, I need to do this, or I need to take action here, I need to take these steps, or I need to forgive, whatever God is, whatever that has been constantly coming back to your mind, that's God speaking to you. God is talking to you as a friend right now. God's saying, I want you to make these corrections. And I want you to set yourself up for healthy or healthier relationships. In fact, even going through this myself, I, I thought, well, there are some areas, some things I need to do and that I can do to even be, be, to emulate the love and the friendship of God even more. But remember, it all starts with God. What I want us to do right now is I want us to pray. We're going to pray together. We're going to pray and we're going to believe God that God's going to, not, not, God is already speaking, but that, that God is going to give you clear direction and you will take action on it. But I want us to pray. Come on, pray with me now. Pray with me now. God, I join in faith with my friends who are in this room right now. You've given me a strong word to share today regarding the critical nature of healthy relationships. So Lord, first of all, I, I, I want to pray for everybody who's hearing my voice for healthy, godly friendships. Healthy, godly friendships. God, I pray that in no way will we be the ones who push back and actually hinder those friendships by our own deeds or actions. God, I also pray that you'll give us wisdom and our relationships. And we'll be wise. God, if, if there are people that 
whom we are calling friends, but they're, they're pulling us down. They're leading us in the wrong direction or maybe our souls are being knit together with someone whom we shouldn't be knit together with. God, I pray that you will give each person the courage to say no and to step away, to step back from relationships that are going to lead toward evil. I pray for wisdom and relationships with even in the godly relationships that there will be blessing that will be released. God, I also pray for forgiveness that you will help us to be forgiving toward those people. Church, just as you continue to pray here, I I want to be honest with you. I, I was struggling as I put this together because God convicted me even of pain that I've been feeling of of hurt and broken relationships and have I truly, truly, truly forgiven? And I walked through a process of just releasing and forgiving yet again. I knew I had to do that before I could even stand up here. But God help us to release forgiveness regardless of the pain or the trauma that we've been through. God, let us be like Job where we pray for and we bless. We bless those who have hurt us. Lord, let us be open to correction also. Correction from your word. Correction from the spirit so that we can build and maintain and thrive relationally with other people. And I thank you, God, for what you're doing, what you have done, and what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Will you guys all stand with me? Before we dismiss, I'm going to ask you, with sincerity of heart, will you please take action? Act on what you've heard. Take action on what you've heard. Because this is what's going to be the catalyst to moving you forward into that next level, to that next place. Amen? Thank you for tuning in to the City Life Church podcast. I would love for you to attend one of our worship services right here in downtown Fort Worth. So if you'd like more information, simply go to citylifefw.com. God bless.